0: Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. I'm really excited to have Kylan Maroney with us today. You run the Lure of the North, a like snowshoe expedition and trekking company in northern Canada or Someplace in Canada, and it's a big place. So I know uh, <laughs> it's a pretty wild area, and I've been studying and and poring over your photos uh, up in on Instagram because they're they're just phenomenal. You have incredible photography uh, on there, and uh, I just love what you do. So I just really appreciate uh, you being here and sharing some of your time with us.
1: Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Uh, always great to chat with like minded people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about Lure of the North, your experience. I I know you had a a gear and outfitting company at one point for a while, and you also do these tracks. And I'm just really interested in hearing a little bit about what you offer,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. how you got started, any any part you want to jump in on is fine with me. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, we run a, yeah, like you said, snowshoe Guiding Company based out of Northern Ontario, Canada. And we take people on expeditions ranging from one all the way up to 11 weeks. In 2022, we did a 73-day expedition crossing Ontario from Lake Superior to James Bay. But that's not our standard trip. That was just like a kind of a a one-off, let's see how far we can go. And it was amazing. But we typically focus on one to three-week expeditions. And we travel all over northern Ontario and Quebec to do that. We live off-grid at a wilderness property where our nearest neighbor is 10 kilometers away. We're completely self-sufficient with solar panels, and we collect our rainwater, and we built our own home. Uh, We heat with uh, wood, and yeah, so we're either boat access or snowmobile access. And we used to have a, a retail online business, and that's how we started off. It married really well with the expeditions, and we would teach workshops on how to Build snowshoes. We like weave the snowshoes, make moccasins, and all of the other gear that would be required for the type of travel that we do. But we since split the company in half, and good friends of ours, Jeff and Laura, now run the Lure of the North Outfitters. So we felt like we were just being pulled in too many directions and couldn't keep up with the demand of the the retail was was keeping us away from further developing our bushcraft skills and our time in the wilderness. So rather than just closing the doors and stepping away, we were able to pass it on, which we're really happy to have been able to do because we were sad to, with the idea of closing it down because it's a niche uh, service that we were providing. And yeah, really happy that they've been able to step up and continue providing that for people.
0: It's interesting. Like, I'm glad that you made that decision because I know Anytime you have a business that you've worked hard to develop a customer base and you like know what they're looking for and you're able to provide it and you've solved all those problems and then just walk away, just always feels really, there's something really sad or just, it's hard to let go of that and not see it want to thrive.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it was like, it was hard because it was hard to make that decision to, to give it up because it was them like a profitable part of our company which was helping to fuel our life out here in in the wilderness to build our house and to do right. all the upgrades that we've done put our solar system in so it's scary when you make those decisions to be like oh i'm going to cut my income in half but i'm going to have the time to actually pursue some of the passions that are just feeling like farther and farther away from being able to actually put some energy into it because it Mm -hmm. was just like you're always working when you work from home it's hard to separate that like work life balance and so it was time and we were grateful for everything that it's done for us and all of like you said the customer yeah like Um, truly grateful for it but it was
0: time yeah sometimes people will like I know some people will like let go of a business because it's not doing well So then that's a little easier because you're like, okay, I just worked for a year and I didn't really get paid hardly anything trying to save it and it didn't work. And then it's that kind of is easier to walk away from to go, all right, okay, I took a load off my back. But it is tough when you're like, yeah, like you said, used to the little bit of money and then having to switch. But hopefully the expedition parts that you do, the guided uh, experiences you do can make up for that and uh, because... It just seems like a really exceptional experience. So tell me a little bit about who who comes on some of those trips and what's their experience like, do you think?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I do think that letting the retail go will allow us to focus on the expeditions and even elevate them that much more. Do some tweaks to the menu and make sure. We are always trying to make sure that our gear is in tip-top shape, but now it'll be very much more attainable to, to do that. And who comes on our trips is literally anybody that wants to. It's people that are outdoor enthusiasts that have never winter camped before, or it's people that love winter camping but don't have anyone to go with. Male, female, it's honestly right now, it's probably about 60, 40 male to female, which is awesome. When we first started, I'd have one female with me and I, or I'd be the only female. So really a lot more women are getting into it, which is incredible. Um, Age range is like anywhere from 25 to 65. We've had a few in the 70 year olds range which is incredible. And then yeah. I think that just goes to speak to how accessible this type of travel is. For those of you that don't know, we call it traditional winter camping. So we, rather than wearing like mountaineering style snowshoes and like backpacks with just a warm sleeping bag and a, a, a good kind of four season like summer tent uh it's a canvas tent with a wood stove we take everything off of our back and haul it by uh toboggan we wear breathable windproof clothing that at the end of the day we hang up in the tent to dry out with the wood stove often we'll sleep on a bed of boughs and chop our wood and then cut an ice hole for our water. We're traveling on the frozen lakes and rivers of Northern Ontario and Quebec. And it's uh, a really sustainable way to travel. Whereas we've done travel in the mountains and it just seems like you're always waiting for that perfect weather window to get in, get out, get that summit and get down because you never know when you're just going to be destroyed by the next uh, storm. Okay. And it's also a really fragile environment where you're not really meant to be part of the environment. You're meant to be there as a, a visitor. Don't touch anything. You've got to leave as little trace as possible and while we support no trace camping but we also recognize that the boreal forest is such a a vibrant and sustainable ecosystem that has all of the necessities to provide for you when you're traveling heat from the fire the fresh water and then if you got into it you could harvest your own food sure and So it's a really sustainable way to travel because every night you're hanging all of your kit to dry and then you're having a warm cup of coffee in the morning, you're sipping wine at night, you're eating like a big hearty meal over the wood stove and it just feels like you could go on and on, which is why our minimum, our like shortest trip is seven days. And that's because we really believe that people need to get into the flow of winter If you just go for a weekend, you might be like, oh, that was awesome. But I don't know if I could do any longer because you're like already thinking about your hot shower and your like warm bed. Hmm. But if you can get into that flow, then you might realize, oh, actually winter can be really comfortable. You just need to do it the right
0: way. You have to cross that mental threshold of letting go of everything else and just being fully present and realizing that your needs are all met. So it's pretty Yeah, exactly. Do you guys go uh, fishing sometimes or ice fishing at all? Or, or is that something that is tricky to do when you're on the lakes and rivers and stuff? Like,
1: So we do, we have a couple different types of trips. So mm-hmm. we originally started as like travel trips. So it was a sort of a point A to a point B or like a right. loop trip. Or sort of, the goal was travel through the wilderness and we would bring all of our food. And it is a really arduous activity. It's physically demanding. Not only are you traveling all day on snowshoes, then when you get to camp, you still have three hours of camp chores to get done before you can settle in and enjoy your cup of wine. By the time people come into the tent, their moccasins are frozen, their mittens are frozen, they just basically want to collapse and yeah. enjoy the meal and hang their stuff to dry and go to bed. On our travel trips, we don't do a lot of hunting or trapping or fishing, but we do have specific uh, trips that are slower pace. I do a survival week, we do a like life on the trapline where we run a crown trapline in our surrounding areas. So we take people and travel along the trap line collecting beavers and then we're like processing the beaver out there eating it and then yeah we do fishing and snaring rabbits and stuff as well but that's we have to decide that this is what we're doing on this experience
0: sure sure yeah it's on rest
1: days we'll try Mm -hmm. and like pepper in fishing on our travel trips but Mm -hmm. a lot of times people just want to lounge in the tent in their pajamas
0: I don't blame them really in some ways, for sure. But it is nice to showcase those skills a little bit because uh, it's hard to know where someone would get that experience if you're coming, say, from Toronto or someplace in the States, and then you just go, all right, I, I can read about those stories uh, about the early trappers or native people and then this idea of oh you could probably just go to northern Canada and just maybe run into somebody who will maybe guide you but it's oftentimes you're not sure is this going to be the right fit? Is this person going to say two words to me all weekend and yell at me when I spill my tackle box or something. And yeah. and so they want to know that you're that they feel like they can have a connection too. And yeah that's so that's something that's really a unique experience. Yeah. For them to be able to have that
1: yeah the life on the trapline experience is a really unique one because like you just said there are a lot of trappers out there mm-hmm. but if you don't know them it's hard to connect with somebody and then at, once you connect with them it's hard to convince them like hey can I come and help you and they're often doing it by snowmobile which we for our trapline we do have a snowmobile support to pick up our harvest but it's a good marriage between our skills of winter camping, traditional winter travel, and then also to be able to actually legally run a trap line, you know, that I think that's a rare combination of skills coming together. So I think that experience, like you said, like people read books on like the original trappers and how it was done and the way of life. And then that course is really special as well because immediately following that is our brain tanning and butchery class so people will come back to our homestead and spend a week processing the animals we render the fat and make soap from the beaver fat we tan the hides we clean the skulls so that they can go home with them And we're like eating every part of the animal as well. Like we're deep, the heart and the liver, we're cooking the feet, cooking the tail. And it's just a really cool way to step back in time to see how these animals were an important part of our history. And then also to be like, oh, this is actually a really sustainable food source that is really underrated. There's not a lot of trappers now that actually eat the beaver meat from what I've heard from other trappers, they just use them as bait for trapping other animals. And so for us, we don't do much big game hunting at all because we have an entire stand up freezer that's full of beaver. And it's like some of the best meat I've ever had. It tastes like beef and like we yeah. render the fat down so we can use that as cooking lard as well. Yeah. I don't really like right now is rifle season for deer, and I haven't gone out once because I'm like I can't feel good about shooting a deer if I still have a whole freezer full of beaver and trapping season is coming. So it's right, like right. I, I'm just going to get more beavers. So I need to eat through our 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 beavers.
0: Yeah, that's that is very true. That is a, a common problem I think for some people who hunt that if you have a freezer still with venison or or moose or whatever it is you're like uh-oh i'm going to i'm going to have another 60 pounds of meat or 100 pounds of meat coming in and you're like yeah. oh, i better get cracking here or something but yeah it makes a lot of sense and like you said it so it tastes uh similar to beef you said right yeah it is a really dark red meat from what i remember i've skinned beavers that i found road killed down here and uh, very oily skin. But uh, what we did with trapping when, or uh, tanning was that we would skin them. And then usually we'd use like a powdered clay and uh. we'd put that over the hide and let it soak up. And then we'd scrape it off and put more on and just do that. What what kind of uh, ways do you use to cut some of that grease that is in the hide itself? Is there anything that is a special secret? <laughs> I guess I don't want to, I don't want you to spill anything if it's proprietary. But-
1: uh. No, yeah there's lots of different things that you can do but m- a lot of it is dry scraping so we'll stretch the hide obviously we're flushing the hide as best we can initially and then we do we wash it with a light detergent like with dawn soap just to help pull mm. pull some oils out and then once it's stretched and on the board then we dry scrape mm. and then yeah we even buff it with a sander And then just pack those the brains into the hide you do want those oils in the hide to to keep it supple so yeah but it is you you do it's a lot of work to tan a beaver hide it would definitely be an easier workshop if we were like focused on something like muskrats or minks or martens their skin is much thinner beaver has some of the thickest skin but also nice as fur. So it's if you've never tanned a hide, beaver is a tough one to start with. But at the same time, it's it just makes sense for it to be like full circle. And your first beaver hide's not going to turn out to be like a beautiful blanket, but it'll still be tanned and a good use of the animal.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I used to, when I was a little kid, when I was like in my 12 years old, we used to trap muskrats around the ponds. And muskrats are one of my favorite because they, like you said, they are much thinner. It it doesn't take that much to get a really nice soft for them and making a pouch or whatever. So I always really love that, but I haven't really taught tanning in a while, but I just have, I always have a lot of questions because that's one of my favorite passions.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool.
0: Yeah. So I was going to ask you too, when you're out there with people who haven't been maybe used to going out in the cold and like walking across a frozen lake. I'm sure it's probably sometimes windy and (laughs) blowing snow on a lake. I know can just be like a whiteout. So that must feel really crazy to be like dragging a toboggan and and crunch, crunch of that. And like seeing the back of the person in front of you disappear. What are some ways that they respond to that? Uh, Do they get pretty scared sometimes thinking that they're going to get lost or
1: it's It can be pretty intense, especially on some of our bigger trips where we're yeah, like crossing really big lakes. And But before we go, we have a very thorough uh, equipment list. And mm-hmm. we used to be more lenient about what people brought. But now if you come on a two-week expedition with us, you have to have the right sn- snowshoes. You have to have moccasins. You have to have some sort of wind layer to hopefully one of our anoraks. And so if people have the right clothing, then like before we start, usually when we start a a lake crossing, we've all gathered up behind a bay before we get into the headwind, right? We'd say, okay, we're aiming for this point. We're gonna go for 45 minutes straight and we're gonna aim for that point. And then the nice thing is we're literally all in a line. So you can't really lose each other. And sure. we have a brake line behind our toboggan and you try and keep that sort of your heads down and you're just watching that purple tail. And it's like a chevron for people to stay at the proper distance away from each other. And then like Dave will, for example, be up front and I'll be at the back of the pack. And then that way, if we see if I see someone falling behind, we can communicate up the line that it's OK. Oh, and then sometimes people just need to fix their binding or they need to change their layer. So it's this, you're not trying to have it be like stop, start, stop, start, because that's when people get cold. So you try and say, okay, we're going to go for 45 minutes. And then we're going to stop at that point. So even if you get behind, the leader is going to stop over there. And if it's like such a whiteout that you literally can't see then we definitely just stay closer together. When you're traveling over an open lake, you don't necessarily have to worry about like holes in the ice. There are currents in lakes. So when you go through like narrows and channels in a lake, you want to be careful. So if there's any sort of red flags up ahead, then we stop so that we can inform the group of, hey, make sure that you stay on the track here because there's thin ice over here.
0: That's right. That's really cool. I've always loved the Northern Canada slash Alaska Yukon, like those stories, the Jack London stories or Farley Moat stories. And when I was a kid, I would just put everything we had, everything, all my belongings, on a toboggan and just like drag wow. it around these fields in the woods. <laughs> and just and when it was a whiteout, when it was snow blowing over us, it. it I would just imagine, oh, I'm in the Arctic and and I I'm all alone. And then my mom, would, cute. my mom would open the door and go, get in here, you're freezing. <laughs> I would just be like, okay, I'm not in the Arctic anymore.
1: Oh, uh, uh, that's really cute. Reminds me of Calvin and Hobbes or something <laughs> when he's like out in his backyard and just this whole world
0: becomes, I'm
1: in the Arctic and exactly. I need to get for the... Yeah, and then you know, yeah, your mom opens the door. Hey, come in for supper.
0: <laughs> get some uh, chocolate. It's funny because like when you don't have those kinds of like life and death stakes when the stakes aren't that high it's just easy i think sometimes to feel like life is life's not that exciting because you're just like we took i don't have to worry about uh, saber-tooth tigers and i don't have to worry about this and hopefully if i get a cold it's not going to kill me or let's so say you're just going i just have to make it through my brain squeezing job for for nine hours <laughs> but, yeah but it's just like when you go yeah. out you're like really in that like in that moment you're living in that moment and it's coming into you you, you feel alive and you're like, I did something. I survived yeah. I made it and like we just in in today's world, I could see how people just go like, all right, I don't know, is there a reason why I'm here what and what is that? And
1: yeah no, the common joke is like, yeah, we're in a white out or like ankle deep in slash. And then we get to camp, and people are like, "I paid for this. My vacation, and this is awful." awful. Exactly. But then we all laugh about it. But it really does. It your life is so simple out there, simple but not easy. It's yeah. hard work. It's can be mentally and physically taxing, but your sort of life goals for the day are really simple wake up eat travel and then find wood get water eat like it's very much like you know exactly your goal for the day and at the end it's so satisfying to be like "Woah, we just did that and we're all struggling together as well we can you're struggling on your own out in the middle of the lake when it's a total whiteout And you feel like you're just like, what is going on? Like, it's so hard. But then you get around the corner and it's all protected and we pull out the group tea or the group soup and we all come together and be like, that was wild. And you really bond over that sort of hardship. And yeah, most people don't get to challenge themselves physically, physically or mentally in their life on a regular basis. A lot of people's jobs, they've been there for X number of years. They know exactly what they need to do. And it just is a bit like Groundhog Day. What we do is help people push themselves physically. And that brings you to a a whole nother mental toughness level where you have to actually push through something. And yeah, I think it's a really important thing for adults to do. In their life. And it seems to, from the feedback that I've gotten, rejuvenate people at their homes or help make tough decisions. Like they they get on a high when they come back from our trips and realize I need more of this in my life. And they change jobs or they sell their house and move to the country. Yes, yeah, So I think big changes can happen when you come on these trips.
0: Yeah. I, I can imagine that. I, that's really true for a lot of these kind of outdoor programs and whether it's an herbal study program or whether it's an expedition or whatever it is, it's something that I've seen in my work as well. Yeah, Children often will do that too. And in a lot of our summer camps, there'll always be some kid that will say, you you can't make me build this shelter. And I'm just like, it's going to rain tonight, but be my guest. It's okay if you want to sit outside. And I said, I'll put a tarp up for you, whatever. And they'll like sulk for a bit and then they'll just go all right, I'll build it. And I'm like, all right. And then later they would say to me, I've never actually been pushed to work this hard in my life. I'm 13 years old. I've never done that. And I was just, I had to do it. And then I actually found myself really liking the work. Like it made me feel good. And I, you know, cause I think a lot of times people are afraid to push themselves or get into those situations because they don't think that they're going to do well. But then when Uh they get out there and they push through it, they go, hey, I actually didn't do too bad or I actually did great. So uh, it's really, it's, I don't know, it's hard to be that guy that's pushing the people sometimes to do it. But, and knowing what they're going to go through, right? Yeah. But- Yeah, for sure.
1: And also like when people, that's one of the reasons why our minimum length is seven days, because like you said, people- don't really feel like they can push themselves beyond okay two days or three days that was my limit I don't think I could go any further but then you realize oh like actually I have to and then you go there and you're like oh like I did that and then you go again and and you did that and that's something that I think is invaluable for people and sometimes I feel like oh our expeditions there's so many companies out there that are really focused on skill-based courses. And a lot of our courses are experience-based. And sometimes I almost feel like, man, am I doing enough teaching out here? But just from the feedback that I hear is the experience alone is like such a good teacher that actually not focusing on, okay, today we're going to learn about this and right. just let let those skills develop on their own and when there's teachable moments here and there that's when you can step up but uh, so much of the experience is just getting comfortable with winter pushing yourself through adversity and uh working as a team and right. um yeah and i really feel like that's something that is adults need that time and also we're providing a alternative to a vacation, like an all expenses paid gluttonous trip to the hot islands, which would be lovely, but you might not feel as refreshed and invigorated to get back to your day-to-day.
0: Yeah, that's true. That is really true. And and I like that you're experience-based because I did, we would run our wilderness camps for kids and we would try to offer a lot of different um, new skills, but there's a point where you can just go, all right, maybe we need to take skills out and just let them play or be or, yeah. and, and we found that every time we decreased the amount of skills we had, in some cases, the the children would report that they liked the camp's they were, they reported that it was great. They didn't, nobody ever said, Hey, can I teach, can you teach me 17 more skills today? It it just gave us a little bit less pressure on ourselves to push them to get the next level of flint napping or not tying or whatever. We gave them something, but they just, I don't know, less is more is what we found. So. Yeah,
1: definitely. I agree.
0: Yeah, I was just curious too. You started doing some online. I saw you had an online. Was it a moccasin class or something hmm. like on there? Yeah, yeah.
1: The, we used to travel around Ontario teaching in person, and that was when we were we first moved out here, and we lived in a tent for three years. We had a boat that leaked like a sieve, a motor that would work only if you looked at it, and. It Everything was in Rubbermaids and we were just like, we didn't have a covered trailer. So it was like everything. It was just like, it was so arduous. We'd have to carry all of our like buckets of hide down the hill, across the trail, into the boat. It was such a ordeal to get to a workshop, but I really loved the workshops. Once we were there, I really loved teaching and I loved inspiring people to handcraft more And the best thing about the moccasin is that it's a functional piece of clothing that is better than any other winter footwear on the market. For what it is and for what it's used for, there is no replacement to a handmade winter moccasin. And so the fact that you can, in two days, make your own and it be so functional and so beautiful, it just really inspired people. So we stopped traveling after COVID, actually me going on alone and then COVID really just put the brakes on us traveling and teaching the workshops in person. And so I'd had a lot of requests from people to do online stuff. And I thought it would be an opportunity for me to help promote for Jeff and Laura to yeah, just have something that people could join in live. Like I've already got the YouTube videos up there, but to have an interactive live session I thought would be fun. So actually tonight is the last night we're doing, we're adding fur to our upper canvas uppers. So that'll be the finale. But yeah, it went really well and I enjoyed it. And Jeff and Laura got a lot of great feedback from it and yeah, would consider doing it again.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I've known. I know people have gone and tried to do wilderness programs online a little bit, and sometimes it works really well, and sometimes it doesn't. But I do know that if you do send someone like a kit and or tell them where to get the supplies and everything, it is really a fun thing to see people and have them ask questions and get a a glimpse. And I don't know, it's just different. So because it can be isolating doing this work from what I've experienced, where it's just like living at my place, cutting firewood, fixing up the cabins, like just doing it mostly alone and you don't get that like camaraderie. So just getting a chance to connect with people is really, it feels really nice.
1: Yeah. That's why I like to do podcasts as well, because yeah, I love living where I live, but it is extremely isolating. And I love my husband, Dave. I love my dog, Hank and Lanny, the cat and the birds and the bees, but it is like lonely. When I lived in Sudbury, I, which is the nearest big city, I was able to go to social events and exercise classes and have potlucks. And now all my friends in Sudbury, they've got kids and they're busy and I hardly ever see them. So yeah, it is, it can be lonely. It's So it's nice to, yeah, like you say, connect with people, even if it is
0: online. What's interesting too, for me, like I did a workshop recently where we were timber framing. So we're doing post and beam construction and we're doing, I did a wilderness survival program and it's, I don't know if people always get it, but when that, when all the people leave, there's like, part of me is, oh, thank God everyone's gone. I can just relax because I don't have to feel the pressure of go. But at the same time, at the same time, about an hour later, I'm like shouldn't I be doing something? And hey, where are all my friends? And and it was fun. And I, oh, I should have taught them this thing or that. And there's a period for a while where it's, man, it, it is nice to have people that are interested in what I do to also validate that I have that interest because most of the people in my immediate area, they're not, they're really not interested in learning some of the wilderness skills. So you can, again, you can feel alone even in, in a city because you feel like, yeah, no one really gets me.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. After our season ends in April, there's this apres season depression that we fall into where it's like, yeah, from December to April, we're just like, go like every day, you know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly what you have to do. And then April shows up and you're just like, there's Mm, your list is still this long, but nothing is like, you got to do this now. It's more like you could work on this or you could work on that. And so Dave and I both like we get into this mini depression where, and that's why we always do our firewood as soon as we're finished the season, because it's something that is relaxing. You're outside enjoying that beautiful spring summer or spring sun And, but it's productive. So it's like easy, but it's still physical and, but it's not mentally straining and that wards off that post-season blues. But yeah, certainly once you're like used to having people around you all the time and then now there's just nobody. It's, oh, am I even useful in the society like people don't need me anymore and <laughs>
0: you can really yeah. spiral you can spiral I I definitely know that feeling and I know yeah. I love that early time of the year too where the mosquitoes aren't really out yet the black flies yeah. aren't out yet and you can just be out there and it's gorgeous and then there's and then you cross that line where all of a sudden you go okay yeah they're back and then <laughs> you, you just deal with it but it's tough uh, yeah exactly yeah I'm curious, did you grow, you said you grew up in Ontario, Sudbury, is that where you were originally from? And is that where you and Dave met? Or
1: That is where Dave and I met, but I grew up about three hours south of Sudbury. And Dave grew up just east of Toronto. So we moved to Sudbury for university. Yeah, but my mom grew up in Perry Sound which is just 2 hours south of Sudbury and her parents built their own home and lived on a lake and so we would always visit that and that was like my favorite place to be. I always loved visiting there and I think from an early age I felt this is life, like this is what life should look like and I didn't really clue into that until I was um actually at my first year of university going to school for kinesiology I was going to be a physiotherapist because I spent my childhood in competitive sports and through so many injuries I spent more time at the physiotherapist than I did like with my own parents it felt I always just was like oh I need to help people like you help me but once I was at school to become a physiotherapist I was just like there's something not right, and I had these spidey senses of not wanting to lock myself into a practice, into an office, and I started brainstorming what I wanted to do, and I realized it all had to do with the outdoors. Yeah, and I started searching for universities that specialized in the outdoors, and that's where I found Laurentian in Sudbury, and yeah, we, Dave and I met there. We were both in the same program, and. I never left. I could never see myself going back to Southern Ontario. Um, Sudbury is such an amazing city because it has all these green spaces just locked into the city throughout. We lived in downtown Sudbury, but I could take my dog for an hour off-leash walk in the bush, six doors down from me. So I just... Yeah, I fell in love with this area. And now we're about an hour west of Sepri. Oh,
0: yeah. okay. Nice. Yeah. And then so you just that's where you learned like some of the trapping and and the trekking and stuff. Was that your school? Is that part Yeah, of-
1: the, the schooling was more like science based, like we did a lot of sports physiology, we did sports psychology, um, but then we did things specializing for the outdoors, like risk management, outdoor education, staff, a lot of theory based courses, but then we had hard skills courses as well, where we did yeah, like a course on rock climbing, whitewater canoeing, wilderness survival, Sea kayaking, that kind of thing. So yeah, it was like we did the theory where you get your degree, and then you have the fun stuff that (laughs) gets sprinkled throughout, which is what you really want to be doing. But you just so yeah, that definitely gave me a good sample. And actually, we did a winter camping course, and the textbook of that course was *A Snow Walker's Companion* by Garrett and Alexander Conover, who were main guides. And they wrote literally the book on traditional winter travel. And at first, Dave and I were doing winter camping, the mountaineering way with just like small snowshoes and like everything on your back and cold tenting. And it was just like a matter of breaking down. You go in and all of a sudden you're like, okay, onto my last pair of socks. Let's get out of here. I got to get a hot shower But once we read that book, we're like, oh, like that makes so much sense. And so then Dave, Dave bought his first hot tent and made his own toboggan. And so it just, it was a spiral. Once we saw that book, it was like, what else can we make? And now we need to share this with
0: people. So you like make snowshoes sometimes, or you have the toboggans you're making, you're just making a lot of things, moccasins, your clothing, different types of gear. Yeah. That's really awesome. That's awesome. All I could keep talking, but I just know that th- it seems like this is a really valuable avenue for people to maybe consider if they're if you're someone like interested in this kind of work to do this. And and I'm I'm sure that I know there are people that do similar kinds of things in like the US, but we don't necessarily have the frozen lakes in the same way or that kind of feeling of that wilderness, but it's to me. It's a valid. It's a valid way to have people learn about nature and encounter themselves and grow and have that human development piece. It's really fascinating to me, and I'm really glad you're doing it. When, and when I saw your Instagram, I thought, "Wow, you guys are making it work." And sure. I know how hard work it is, but you're doing it, and it's like it, it was really. I was really impressed with that. Thank you for doing this, uh, because. I don't know. I don't know. There's probably not that many people that do it or that they do it. They're probably doing it where it's oh, okay. You're going to do that trek, but then there's going to be a lodge and and a cabin and you're going to have all the creature comforts. But to actually do what you're doing, that's a whole nother level.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I think it definitely started small. It was literally our professor at school who was like, will you take us on an expedition? Because we did a moccasin making workshop for him and his colleagues. And then he was like, okay, now we need to go out on a trip. So will you take us? And that was like the birth of our first guided trip. And it just has slowly grown, like word of mouth, very. And we basically have been growing as fast as we can just with like inventory and structures. And we just were like, we were always just the end of our rope as to like how much more work we could put into it. And now we're starting to feel a bit more settled. So we have a roof over our heads. We built a new garage this year. And so we're starting to just feel a little bit more like we can breathe a little bit more. But yeah, it was certainly no walk in the park and pretty stressful for the first seven or eight years.
0: Seven or eight years, um, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, but most of these
0: it, programs are self-funded, right? Where it's like you're doing it with your bootstraps. You're taking other yeah. jobs to pay for something, and you're just you're constantly trying to do it because we don't have people that go, "Oh, this is a good investment. I'll yeah I'll the money, and I'll get my money over the next ten years." It's like you're yeah you're taking you're putting everything on the line, and you're taking all the risk. And yeah. And for for a vision or a dream that you're hoping people show up at, and yeah, so I really I hope that you're filled and that you continue to keep getting what you need to keep going, if, if possible.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was, I definitely wouldn't recommend as business advice to move off grid, try and build your home at the same time as trying to run a starting up business. Sure. Is not highly recommended, but it it was a lot of work and. Now, like I can look back and be like, yeah, that was the, no regrets.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it's better to do it when you're on the younger side versus later. And I'm hoping that like nature education and forest education and wilderness and all these things, I'm hoping that there's a way to help us all get better more value from it and understand and also be able to compensate us for that work and so I don't know I'm, I'm really I'd be interested in seeing if that would be if you'd ever be interested in maybe running a course for like educators to do something that would just be an experience to imagine getting a bunch of forest school teachers and leaders to say hey we're going to come out and do something like that would be pretty fun yeah. would be.
1: Yeah, we do have teachers come on our trips for that exact reason. To be like, I want to start up my own program. So I'm going to come to you and, and spend a week. We have a couple of teachers from Montreal coming out in January. And yeah, I think it is a valuable, transferable skill. We do have school groups that come up to us right. after COVID. It put mm-hmm. the brakes on that. But it's the schools are reaching out to us again now. And hopefully we can get something working again. but. Yeah, definitely. Is we live in Canada, like we we have to like winter, otherwise become a. If you're not going to be a snowbird and go to Texas or Nevada or wherever uh, for the summer, then you got to put your moccasins on and get out there and enjoy winter.
0: That's right. That's right. I guess you're you've got to get back to preparing for your season. But so, how can people get a hold of you? Is what's the best way to find you?
1: Yeah, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Lure of the North, all one word. We're at www.lureofthenorth.com. And there you'll find all of our expeditions and updated news. And yeah, if you want to reach out to me personally, you can email me at lureofthenorth.com.
0: All right. That's awesome. Thank you so much for uh, being here. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it was great great to chat with you for sure. Thanks for finally connecting and and
0: getting this going. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature, you can get access to the bonus episodes